The Sacrifice of Iphigenia, 1640-1642 Pietro Testa, Etching with Drypoint As with so many myths from the Greek canon, the tale of Iphigenia has been a favorite subject of artists across the centuries. Testa himself revisited this legend multiple times in his artistic career, exploring the story in a variety of mediums. If you are unfamiliar with the tale, it comes from a moment on the very brink of the Trojan War. Agamemnon, king of Mycenae, and Menelaus, king of Sparta, were preparing to set sail with their fleet of a thousand ships to rescue Menelaus's wife, Helen, from the clutches of Troy's prince, Paris. But Agamemnon had unknowingly killed a deer sacred to the goddess Artemis during a recent hunt, and as punishment for this offense, Artemis withheld the winds needed to take them to the shores of Troy. The only way to atone for this affront, the prophets interpreted, was to sacrifice Agamemnon's daughter Iphigenia in the name of Artemis. The etching before you depicts in exacting detail the chaotic, pivotal scene at the heart of this story. The soothsayers who deemed the sacrifice necessary huddle around their small prophetic fire. They watch in solemn silence as Agamemnon and Menelaus grip Iphigenia, holding her in place as Agamemnon prepares to commit the bloody act that will send them toward the bloody field of war. Iphigenia struggles, naked and exposed upon the sacrificial dais. Others still look on, including Achilles, hero of the Greek forces. All witnesses to this violent deed, all helpless against the supposed will of the gods. And finally, dominating the center of the tableau, Artemis herself descending from the heavens to put a stop to the madness of the foolish mortals below her. The exact content of Artemis's decree in the following moment varies from retelling to retelling. Batesta's own notes suggest that his interpretation of the scene follows the most common version of the myth, in which Artemis berates the men-at-arms in an awful, thunderous voice that she inherited from her father for their limited interpretation of the meaning of sacrifice. "'Halt, mortals, and hear me!' she bellows to the startled and cowering masses. "'The spilling of innocent blood is what first incurred my wrath!' You think to appease me with more innocent blood? Alas, the little minds of little men, which cannot see beyond their lust for sport and war. How ill you have interpreted my demand. A quick, unfeeling murder is not what I am after. I desire a longer, more difficult sacrifice of you, king of Mycenae, and of your daughter. According to the myth, Artemis then turns to Iphigenia, freeing her from her father and uncle's grasp. Offer the sacrifice of time, which you may never reclaim, she says to Iphigenia. Offer the sacrifice of certainty, of safety, of the life you thought was yours, and set sail with your father's fleet as a fellow soldier in his army. This is the sacrifice I ask of you, daughter of Mycenae. As for you she says, addressing Agamemnon in turn. Your sacrifice, your punishment, is to know that her life hangs in the capricious balance that is true for all soldiers. You are to offer her up, as you have offered every citizen of your kingdom you recruited to this warlike errand. You are to live every day in that uncertainty and the fear that festers there. 
What say you? She finally asks Iphigenia, ignoring Agamemnon's many protestations. In her famous and poetic speech that spans several pages in classical texts, and which we do not have the time to repeat here, Iphigenia agrees to Artemis' terms, eager at both the prospect of helping to rescue her Aunt Helen, and of not becoming a sacrificial lamb upon a bloody altar. As the legends go, Iphigenia would survive the Trojan War, though not without paying a physical and mental toll. She would carry the consequences of her choice for the rest of her days, as well as the, shall we say, strained relationship with her father after the events of this day, as is so deftly suggested here in Testa's etching. A relationship, as many have noted, that became the final sacrifice offered up in the name of the goddess Artemis. Attention, Godfrey Guess. Attention! Once again, we are asking the owner of a blue 2013 Toyota Prius with a vanity plate and a bumper sticker that reads, My Other Car is a TARDIS, to please report to the customer service desk as soon as you are able. Your vehicle's Morse code messages blasted via its horn have awakened several neighboring cars with its dire environmental warnings. All of the now-sentient cars are currently blaring the latest reports and updates from the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change in a deafening roar of Morse code. The cacophony is awaking a new car every few minutes, so your expediency in this matter is most appreciated. We hope that cutting off the messaging from the source vehicle will eventually quiet the other cars to an acceptable volume level. For while the Godfrey Estate agrees that the threat of climate change requires drastic, systemic change on a global scale, The decibel level of the car's collective outcry has grown so loud that it is now painful for both our staff and patrons to enter the parking structure. If you are the owner of the instigating Prius and do not report to the customer service desk within the next 10 minutes, our staff will be forced to call Quadruple A, the Association Against Autonomous Automobiles. The Godfrey Estate and Museum cannot be held liable for any damage to your car should we be forced to take that step. Thank you. Peace in Our Country, 2003, Giovanni Moon, Mixed Media. As you pass through the galleries, it is particularly difficult to ignore this entry in Giovanni Moon's oeuvre, the vibrancy of the colors, the brilliance of the light that shines in the dimly lit room that houses the installation. All of it demands your attention, which is exactly the effect that they wanted to elicit with this work. Three inanimate, human-shaped figures stand in a line with their backs to an empty wall, upon which the image of an American flag is projected. These three figures are also caught in the light of the projector, which bathes them in the stars and stripes. They wear army fatigues and all strike the same pose with the same prop, right hand elevated in a peace sign, left hand holding a life-size model of a military-grade assault rifle. This is where most similarities among the three figures end. The figure on the viewer's left is an exquisite, unblemished wax statue, the attention to detail in his features rivaling the work one might find in Madame Tussauds. 
The expression carved into his face is stark and grim. Deep shadows sit beneath his eyes. The figure on the viewer's right is as equally detailed as the one on the left, but while the body of the figure on the left is wholly intact, the figure on the right is missing his left leg, and his face and neck are marred by burn scars. A patch of a purple heart is sewn onto the chest of his fatigues. He too bears a stark expression, and shadows linger in the lines of his face as well. The figure in the center is the life-size model of a skeleton, standing in an upright, lidless coffin. A folded American flag and a letter of condolence are tucked in the crook of the arm that holds the gun. Giovanni Moon bore distant witness to many wars and conflicts throughout their long life, some more justified than others. They had this to say about the installation. For more than two centuries, the United States has demanded sacrifices of its citizens, some more obvious, more visible than others, and it has accepted those sacrifices without question or qualm whether they were willingly offered or not. In the name of security, it says, in the name of peace. But where is that peace? Does it live here, at home? Here, in a nation forged by genocide and subjugation, whose violent legacy we are still untangling. Does it live abroad? Does it live in the countless nations and corners of the world somehow made less stable in the wake of our peacemaking? Does it live in the hearts and minds of those who have fought and sacrificed in the name of it? Those who were so often failed by the country they served once they return home? So... Where does it live? Does it live anywhere? Or is this peace, one maintained over so many years at the end of so many guns, only an illusion? The projection of an idea. A projection that will flicker and fade with the power behind it. Thank you for listening to the Godfrey Audio Guide. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Nicole Knutson, with sound design and editing by James Ferrero. It was produced on unceded Tongva, Chumash, and Keech territory. Enjoying your trip to the estate? Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And consider telling a friend about us. Or two. Or three. Or everyone you know. To keep up with The Godfrey, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Godfrey Guide, or visit our website, thegodfreyaudioguide.com. For Godfrey merchandise, visit our online store, thegodfreyaudioguide.threadless.com. And finally, if you're interested in becoming a sustaining member of the show, make sure to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thegodfreyaudioguide. In addition to our various membership tiers, you'll also find full episode transcripts available as public posts for any who wish to read them. Until next time, friends, see you back at the museum. The influence of Freemasonry is undeniable and unavoidable. But who are these mysterious apron-wearing craftsmen, and what are they up to? For centuries... Hater-ass conspiracy theorists have attempted to answer these questions. 
This fall, from the creative team behind The One Stars and The Subjective Truth, comes a new dark comedy about secret societies and suggestive thinking. Two Flat Earthers Kidnap a Freemason. Starring Zane Schacht as Randy Dunning. I just want to go on the record right now and say that I, Randy Dunning, am 100% anti-gravity. Lauren Grace Thompson as Gail Kruger. You're the one who wanted a Freemason. I don't see why I should be the one getting punished for it. And Matthew Woodcock as Walter Clay. When it comes to the secrets held by our brotherhood, this is one of the juicy ones. Like, subscribe, and share your way to the truth when two flat earthers kidnap a Freemason.